Well, the condition of our nation and our world, boy, it continues to provide sad news on a daily basis, doesn't it? Just uh, the news that's coming out is just really, uh, it's, it's really crazy. If you want to be depressed, if you really want to be depressed, then you watch the news all day long and see what happens. Some of that news, you know, it can be totally shocking. Even while uh, I think in some regards that uh, we as a nation are becoming accustomed to hearing this stuff, uh, that we're becoming numb to what we hear as this news oscillates back and forth between bad news and worse news and a little good news sprinkled in here and there. But one of the difficult areas to get people to understand is the connection between, and here it is, theology and its implication on how we live. So the connection between theology and its implication on the way that we live. And I know that some of you, you may hear uh, this word theology, and you may want to go ahead and just, uh-oh, it's going to be one of those kind of messages, so let me go ahead and shut down now and take my nap. But I want you to embrace this idea of theology. Even though we know that sometimes some folks, they badmouth theology, and they badmouth doctrine because uh, they say all it does is create strife, but I tell you that is not the case. But understand that your theology, and again, all of us have theology, all of us. Uh, do you know what I mean when I say all? I mean all of us have some level of theology. And our theology, it influences what comes out of our mouth. Did you realize that? That how you think and study and what you know about God, that that influences what comes out of your mouth. Your theology, it also influences how you worship. Did you know that? Do you know that some people in their theology they say that there is no need for us to raise our hands and worship. Did you know that? Are you aware that in some people's theology, they say that uh, drums or piano, that it is anathema in a church? You see, what you understand about theology, it influences how we worship. It also influences quite naturally what we believe about heaven and hell. Or even deciding how to pray. Your theology affects how you decide, well, well, is it acceptable just to pray to myself? Is it acceptable to pray out loud with my voice? Do I need to only pray on my knees? Because some people say that you have not prayed unless you have dropped to your knees. 
You see, theology, it affects every aspect of your life, including whether or not if you're going to go to work on time. Amen? We've never even considered that. What does our theology have to do with whether or not I go to work or whether or not if I take a ream of paper from my job? So today we are going to look at this intersection, here it is, between righteousness and intercession. We're going to look at this intersection of righteousness and intercession. And we know that righteousness, it is being the rightness or even the justness of someone's thoughts or actions, while intercession is helping another out specifically through prayer. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16. The Lord shares his plans with the believer. The Lord, he shares his plan with the believer. Verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So here we see in Scripture that uh, the Lord decides to share with Abraham uh, the plans that he had towards Sodom. Now if you have been following us through this series, uh, you know that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that they come into the picture uh, because of Lot, Abraham's nephew. You know there came a time in which Abraham had a lot of stuff and Lot had a lot of stuff. And the keepers of Lot's stuff and the keepers of Abraham's stuff, uh, that they began to bump heads with one another because there was not enough space to keep all of their stuff. So something had to give. So Abraham, he tells Lot, you look out at all the land that you see and you choose what you want for all of your stuff. And whatever you don't take, I'm going to take something else. We recall how Lot, he looks out at the land and he sees how luscious the land was and he chooses the area around Sodom and Gomorrah. While Abram, he decides to wait upon the Lord. And Abraham, he looks at another piece of land in which God begins to speak to him and says, uh, this is what I'm going to give you. Uh, 
So Lot found himself in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah. So there are times, however, even as we see that uh, the Lord, He wants to share His plan with Abram about uh, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that, uh, that sometimes we want to know what is God up to in our life. Sometimes we want to know. Uh, but here we see God willingly uh, shares His purpose, His plan with Abraham about Sodom. So this was the case with Abraham, that God, He decides not to hide what he would do in Sodom from Abraham. And I wonder why that happened in the first place. Exactly why does the Lord decide to reveal certain things to us and not others is something that I don't have an explanation that they are all wrapped up within God's plan. So in those cases, when we try to decide why does God decide to show us this and tell us this and not to decide to uh, show us this other thing, uh, that we say it's God's sovereignty that's into play. But here in verse 17, God asks the question, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? The prophet Amos, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, has similar statements when he says this. He says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophet. But then there are some people who would out and out reject this whole idea that God still reveals things to his people. Are you aware of that? That some people say that, no, God doesn't show us anything. Well, I tell you that you are not familiar with what the Word of God says. John chapter 15, verse 15. John 15, verse 15. Right? Uh, because we said we're under the New Covenant. We're in the New Testament. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we have everything that we need to know. John 15, 15 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus says that if you are his disciple, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that there are certain things that he has revealed to his servants. So then we ask the question, why doesn't the Lord reveal things to me? Why don't I hear from the Lord? Again, this could be for a myriad of reasons why this does not happen. Uh, but the first thing I want to tell you is that, uh, just number one, make sure that you're not walking in sin. Amen? Number one, make sure you're not walking in sin. Because if you're walking in disobedience, why would God want to tell you anything else? If you refuse to do what God has already plainly shown you in your word, why would God want to tell you anything else? This should be our number one priority as we seek to clear, clearly hear from the Lord. Then we must exercise patience because the work of the Lord is not always as quick as we would like it to be. And one of the problems 
uh, also that Israel had was in the way that they treated people. So number one, make sure we're not in sin. Uh, uh, number two, we have to make sure that we are patient and waiting on God. And number three, believe it or not, is how do we treat people? See, if we make sure that we cover these things, then we open up this great possibility of God speaking to us. So the Lord explains that the reason He's able, in verses 18 and 19 here back in Genesis chapter 18, He explains the reason He's able to share His plans with Abraham was because Abraham, that he was righteous, that he was chosen by God, he was, and he trusted God. And he did righteousness and justice, he says there. So even after considering all uh, that was uh, previously said, uh, these criteria is important for us to live by. Understanding that we are chosen by God and that we must trust God and also live in righteousness and in justice. So if you are a believer, you know that you are chosen by God. Amen? No question about it. If you totally trust God, you have the confidence of knowing that your faith cannot be shaken. If you do righteousness and exercise justice, then you know how to treat people the way that they should be treated. But one of the keys to this passage is to know Abram, Abraham would command his children and his household, that they would also, it says here, that they would also keep the way of the Lord. Do you see it there? That his entire household, that he would command, that he would teach his entire household how to keep the way of the Lord. So when we think of being chosen of the Lord, what does it mean for the way that you lead your family and your household? You see, it's not... Uh, it's not enough just to say that I'm okay. And we know this is good, that we must be okay. But if you're living in a house and you have, you have kids in your house, it's important that you do what? That you teach them what? The way of righteousness and justice, that you teach them the way of God. So the Lord goes on to tell Abram what he's about to do in Sodom and uh, and God says here in verse 20, he says that uh, there is an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. This outcry means there are injustices going on uh, in those twin cities which are devious, inhumane, and filled with all the fullness of depravity. Look at verse 20 again. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Uh, notice in the text that uh, the text never says that the outcry went to God. Did you see that? The text, Scripture does not say that this outcry uh, that it went to God about what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, uh, you don't have to know Jesus in order to experience injustice and wickedness. You don't have to know Jesus Christ in order to experience 
wickedness in your life. That uh, you can still be a pagan and you can still suffer. Evilness affects people all over the world from all types of backgrounds. This is just as true today as it was back then. There are cries and moans of individuals going out against cities all over this world because the sin is so great in it. And even though some people may not call out the name of Jesus, they are most certainly in pain. And many people are suffering in silence and don't know where to turn. And all they know is that uh, there is bad things going on where I am. So just because they're not believers, does this mean that God doesn't hear them? Does it mean he automatically turns his head? And we can uh, notice from the text uh, that the answer to that question is no. Even though it may be possible, there were generally no Yahweh worshipers. There were no worshipers of the Lord God in Sodom except for Lot and his family who were imports. So as we look at Sodom and Gomorrah and all the depravity that was going on in that nation, uh, that uh, there was none that was there to worship the Lord. They, speaking of Lot, nevertheless sought to live in that area first for what they thought was beautiful and enough land for their livestock. But eventually they moved into a town where all the action was. You see, Lot and his family, they had enough of living on the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that they wanted to enter into this place a little closer to the action. <laughs> all the action included all the sinfulness of the land as well. And again, we see in verse 20, uh, that the scripture tells us that their sin was very grave. The original language says that their sin was very heavy. It was very weighty. And, and while we don't know all of the exact sins that were being perpetrated in Sodom and Gomorrah, we definitely know some. They were so wicked that men wanted to sexually force themselves on other men. When Lot wanted to protect a few righteous people, those wicked men said they would do a worse thing to Lot for doing so. This was the tone and the tenor of the people in that town. But we already knew this because Scripture had already given us a head up. A turn back to Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. Genesis chapter 13, verse 13. You know we've already covered this. But the verse says what? And now the men of Sodom, they were what? Wicked. They were great sinners against the Lord. So we already knew when Lot decided to move to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah that they were already wicked then. So now we have a fuller picture developing of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they were not only wicked towards one another, but they also were great sinners against the Lord. So they sinned against one another, and they sinned against God. Now, Genesis 18, verse 21, it tells us that the Lord, that he uh, went down to see what was going on. Well, wait a minute. I thought God was omniscient that he knew everything. What do you mean that the Lord went down to see 
what was going on. Well, we know that at the beginning of verse 18, that there were two uh, uh, men, these two angels uh, that represented God, that they went to speak to Abram, and they went into Abram's uh, uh, property, and Abram and Sarah, that they fed them. All right, we saw that happen. As a matter of fact, we even saw uh, later in, uh, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 19, how even Lot himself uh, entertained those same individuals, these, uh, these angel men who represented God, who had come down so that God can experience to a degree what was going on. Of course God knew what was going on. But God, he comes down in order to see says for himself all the wickedness that was going on. So a lot of you, we're, we're very familiar with this language, how God, how he went down. Uh, in fact, even in Genesis eleven seven, 7, uh, that God said, let us go down there. Uh, and they end up, uh, God ended up going down there and experiencing to see what was going on within that nation in Genesis chapter 11, verse 7. Because he had to go down to deal with the pride and the arrogance which was rising in the hearts of the people all over the earth. But we're familiar with this language. We're familiar with this language uh, because uh, we recall how we used to live in our parents' household. Remember that? How we'd be downstairs and our parents were upstairs. And we'd be downstairs making all kind of noise and throwing things and fighting things. And, and, and fighting one another. And we know that we're doing things that we have no business doing. And then finally we hear the voice of our parents, our father, our mother said, you all need to stop that now. But then uh, as kids, we continue, right? We figure that, okay, yeah, they said we need, to, we need to stop, but that doesn't mean that we should stop because we're smarter than our parents, right? But then we continue this rabble-rousing uh, with one another downstairs, and it's getting louder. People are throwing things, mad at each other. Then all of a sudden, you know uh, what you hear from your parents. Your parents will say what? Don't let me do what? Don't let me come down there. Now, what does that mean? Uh, did that mean that uh, they didn't know what was, they knew what was going on. They knew that they were fighting. Uh, uh, they knew that you were fighting downstairs. They knew that you were doing things you had no business doing. But you know that once they said, don't let me come down there, you know what was going to happen next, right? Right? You all were getting a whooping, not me, right? Uh, you all would get your, your butts punished uh, because now you have made mom, now you have made dad come all the way downstairs because you refused to stop in the first place. So what we see, I believe, with God when he says that, uh, that I am going down there, that this is not just some, simply, uh, some, some news just uh, to know that God simply wants to experience what's going on. God was bringing judgment. This is what it was about. When it says that, that there were great sins against the Lord and that he needed to go down there, that once God was set foot, God was bringing judgment on the land. God says he had to go down and see, and people would be in trouble. So there was trouble brewing in Sodom and Gomorrah. There was great injustices. Uh, 
the righteousness was not even heard of. People were sinning against one another. But the question for us is, how do we respond to a neighborhood or city steeped in sin towards one another and against God? You know, as I was working through this message and meditating on God's Word, I couldn't help but to see some of the parallels between Sodom and Gomorrah and the nation that we live in, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and also the city that we live in as well. We hear about the people of our city who are victimized. And we hear about the people of our city who are victimizing others. That you would just simply have to be deaf and, and lack total understanding uh, for not seeing the parallels that were there. We might worship the Lord in the comfort of this sanctuary or feel somewhat safe in our homes, but yet we are continuously plagued by the news that is going on on a daily basis. People are dying on the streets of the city and in their homes as they sin against one another. The roots of this problem, that it did not occur recently, See, the problem that we are experiencing in our city is because of the issues that were not taken care of a long time ago. See, uh, when folks don't have jobs and uh, they have no way to better themselves and there's no role models and they are concentrated in a particular uh, a location or buildings, uh, everything is okay then. But let us tear down those buildings and then all of a sudden uh, all that concentration of, of darkness, now it's spread out everywhere. You see, we didn't take care of the problem then, so now the problem is with us all over the city now. So while many people would equate the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah as only being of a sexual nation, uh, nature against one another, and against the Lord, we know that uh, these types of sins, that they span languages, they span generations, they span nations and lands and so on and so forth. Abraham was very smart by allowing the Lord to minister him to keep him out of all that mess. Because who wants to live in the midst of that? But even though he didn't live there, even though it was not a place for him, he, Abraham, he had a heart for Sodom and Gomorrah, not because of the sin in it, but because of the people in it. Abraham had a heart for Sodom and Gomorrah, not because of the sin, but because of what? The people. Our hearts must not only care about the people, live overseas and those persecuted in other nations but we also must have a heart for the people right here in our city those who are suffering under the hand of violence and under the threat of violence every day that we must have a heart for them amen regardless of what color they may be regardless of how much money that they make regardless of how they speak or where they work 
uh, we must uh, not understand that it is them and then us that like Abraham, uh, when he looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that he had a heart for all the people there. <laughs> In fact, we must look at the sinful condition of our city and we must lament. We must look at the sinfulness uh, that is spreading out everywhere and we must be saddened in our heart. We uh, simply have a, a difficult time to celebrate. Now, are there good things happening? Absolutely. I don't want to uh, oppress those facts. There are many good things happening in the city. But the bottom line is there are a lot of neg negative things happening as well. So is the Lord righteous in his judgments? That's the question on the table. Is God righteous in his judgments? Uh, let's think about Sodom and Gomorrah for one moment. We already know, uh, well, most of us know the story, that eventually God came down to Sodom and Gomorrah. What did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, let's try that one, one more time. What did God do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Right, he destroyed uh, only one house in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? How much did he destroy in Sodom and Gomorrah? Everything. He flattened the entire city. So when we think about the city of Chicago and all the wickedness that is perpetrated there, are we ready for God to flatten the entire city? Are we ready for God to come in and just uh, completely wipe Chicago off the faith, the face of the earth? Genesis 18, verses 22 and 23. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. These are the men that uh, Abraham had up in his house. And after God has said, I need to share with you, Abraham, what I'm about to do in this city. But then it says, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Verse 23, here it is. Then Abraham drew near and said, he drew near to the Lord and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? See, there's a the question on the table. We think about all the of the bad things that are going on in, in our city. When we think about how we want God to judge those who are doing bad things, uh, sometimes we wonder, especially when it affects an entire swatch of land and many, many people, we wonder, will God uh, sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham wanted to know, what kind of God am I serving? Some may think that we have no right to ask that question. We have no right to ask God, will you indeed take care of the righteous along with the wicked? Will you destroy them all off the face of the earth? The question at hand is, will God, who deems Abraham as righteous, who listens to a plan concerning righteous people, do a righteous act in Sodom and Gomorrah? Will God do a righteous act in Sodom and Gomorrah? Will the Lord act in righteousness to all the nations of the earth whom will be blessed through Abraham? 
So for Abraham to continue along this path of trusting the Lord, he had to be sure about God himself. This is what this is about. When Abraham asked, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He wants to know, how righteous is my God? Recall the phrase, how how God had already determined that Abraham uh, would be righteous, that he is righteous. And now the tables are somewhat reversed because Abraham is wanting to know, well, okay, you said that I'm righteous, God, but I want to know, will you be righteous? Hmm. Abraham was trying to figure out this righteousness thing about God. He was trying to figure out how does this theology work out in his life. In other words, uh, Abraham... Uh, Was he appealing to God's sense of righteousness in order to do the right thing? So I'm going to ask you this question, God, uh, hoping that you will end up doing the right thing. Does God know how to do right things? But as far as Abraham could see, Abraham was figuring out that God was about to destroy the whole thing. And in his mind, Abraham was saying that God is just going to kill everybody. God expects to deliver judgment on the entire nation. In other words, when disaster strikes, why would the Lord punish the good with the bad? It doesn't feel like God is righteous when that happens. When it feels like righteous people suffer, it feels like God is not just. But on the other hand, I want us to consider the difference between God's judgment and a natural disaster. Amen? God's judgment and a natural disaster. How do we know whether or not uh, God brings his judgment versus how do we know if it's just a plain old, everyday, ordinary, natural disaster? Right? Well, we know when it is God's judgment because when God brings his judgment, he just, he takes care of it all. He took care of all of Sodom and Gomorrah. He took care of all of Jericho. He took care of all of those nations as Israel began to march towards the promised land. He took care of all the Canaanites there in Canaan so so Israel could live in that land. So when God decides to take care of all, he judges them all. Takes care of all of them. But a natural disaster is something that, number one, I say that it was, especially when it affects people, that it was put in place because of sin. What? So you mean to tell me that when there's a natural disaster and bad people and good people experience the force and the face of natural disaster, that that's because of sin? I tell you, yes, it is. Now, it's not because of God's judgment, but it's because of how sin has affected nature. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I want us to turn to, very quickly, to Romans chapter 8, verse 18, beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. We're going to start there. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here it is. For the creation waits with eager longing For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But what are you saying? I'm saying this, that at the fall, that sin not only affected the relationship between mankind and God, and that is primary, but also the fall affected all of nature. All of nature. Well, well, how do you figure this out? Well, we know that when it rains, how it helps the earth. Amen? Uh, we, we know that even that sometimes when there are natural forest fires, that it helps to, uh, it, 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 it helps to replenish the earth by providing nutrients to the earth. We know all of this thing. But the problem comes in that is when all these hurricanes and these earthquakes and these floods, when they affect people and people die. The good folks and the bad folks, when they all die. Uh, you see, those natural disasters, they came, only came into about to negatively affect people after the fall. Before the fall, uh, the earth was being watered from underneath. There was this constant mist that was watering all of the earth. There was no place for natural disasters to impact mankind. But when God judges, yes, he does, he takes care of everything. So sometimes there is a correlation between a natural disaster and the judgment of God. Well, how do we know which is which? I tell you, sometimes we don't know, and we just leave that to God. Amen? Amen. So how do we respond to a city that's in sin? We intercede for those who trouble others with sin. And for those who are troubled by sin, we intercede or we pray for those who trouble others with sin and for those who are troubled by sin. Verse 24, please. So now Abraham, he hears that God is about to bring judgment upon uh, the land. Uh, so he decides to intercede on their behalf. Here we go, verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Speaking to God, will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death and the wicked, so that the righteous fear as the wicked. Far be it that from you, far be that from you. But shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God, will you do the right things? Verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are, are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it, uh, it if I find 45. So Abraham was trying to whittle that number, number down, and he was whittling that number down, and eventually, going all the way over to verse 32, he whittled that number all the way down to 10. He's saying, out of an entire city, if you find 10 people, will you destroy it? God said, no, I'm not going to do it. Ten people. 
ten people. So we continue to see Abraham's spiritual growth and maturity. Uh, previously, he was content on just uh, saving his own neck. I uh, remember from the men who wanted his wife. Uh, at that point, uh, Abraham was only happy just to have his own life. But eventually he grew. And now he was concerned about an entire city. God, uh, Abraham simply, simply could have told God, look here, just spare Lot. Just spare Lot and his family, and I'm good to go. Get them out of there, and I'm good to go. God says that if, if, if I can find ten righteous people in the entire city, that I will save the entire city. How far are we willing to go with God on behalf of others? While we have no indication of the time frame of this prayer or conversation Abraham had with God, we do know that it happened. So we must consider not how long our prayers must be on behalf of others, but how deep our love is for other people. and How we must pray for them and that God would save their lives and give them yet another chance. But even in the intercession on behalf of these people, uh, never at any time did Abram question the Lord's assessment of the dark spiritual climate of that city. Never once did Abraham say uh, that, Lord, I think that you're just simply wrong about what's going on out here. And Abraham knew what was going on. So for our city and for the people we know, we should have the same attitude of prayer on their behalf. Number one, knowing that God is righteous and we know that God loves all people. And if God loves all people, so should we. Much like some of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, many people we know are steeped in sin and are candidates that are ripe for the judgment of God. Now, before you get too relieved in thinking that it was only the city that was the problem and that God would go down and only affect only Sodom and Gomorrah, I want you to think again. In other words, what I'm saying is that it wasn't just a city, but it was also the other suburbs around the city that God was passing judgment. You say, well, how do you know that? Okay, all right. Now turn to Jeremiah chapter 49. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 18. So you are not in the clear if you live in the suburbs. Amen? I'll say it again. You are not in the clear of God's judgment if you live in the suburbs. Uh, Jeremiah 49, 18. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their what? Neighboring cities were what? Overthrown. You see that? So whether you live in Oak Lawn, Oak Park, over there, over here, know that uh, if you live in the Chicago land area, and, and you're proud to say that when people ask you, where do you live? Oh, I live in the Chicago land area. Know that if God decides to bring judgment on Chicago, know that you also are going. He's bringing judgment on us all. Because the city center often gets the most attention than the sins of your neighborhood, right? You may say, my neighborhood is good. Yeah, right, right? We think that we're okay. 
But the sins of your city and your neighborhood may be muted, giving the appearances of goodness when it is full of darkness as well. And here it is. They say, well, that's neither here nor there. Uh, one more verse for you. Genesis chapter 19, verse 21. This is Lot. He is conversing uh, uh, concerning uh, uh, where he would flee once he would leave Sodom and Gomorrah. 1921, he said to him, Behold, the angel said to, to Lot, Behold, I grant you this favor also. You hear that? I grant you this favor or this grace also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. So Lot, he was trying, uh, the angel told Lot, you need to go to the hills. Lot said, I don't think I'm going to make it, but I can go to this other city which is really close. So the angel told him, I want you to know I'm going to grant you a favor, that the city that you go in, that I'm not going to destroy it too. So that tells us that God, that he was going to destroy all of Sodom and Gomorrah, not only the twin cities, but all the other little cities that were around there because all of them received their welfare and their strength from those twin cities. So what is our response? What is our response to our city? Knowing that God is righteous and knowing that we must uh, intercede on his behalf, that we must pray. We must love people. We must not forsake God and not forsake our neighbors, even those neighbors that get on your nerve. Even those neighbors that you know are up to no good. God wants you to do what? Go to him in prayer on their behalf. Amen? Are you willing to do this? You who are called God's chosen people, God's royal priesthood. Are you willing to go to God on behalf of your neighbors who are in sin? God is indeed righteous. The question is,